Well, hey friends, welcome to RUF. Uh, if you've been with us this semester, you know we're going through a series in Exodus, and tonight we're going to be looking at really a theme. We're kind of going to go from the Red Sea into and through the wilderness, and then next time we're together, we're going to be looking at uh, God giving Israel, giving his people the law. And so we're thinking about, what I want to think about tonight is the theme of the wilderness. What's fascinating about Exodus is most of the book, 40 years, is about God's people journeying with the Lord in the wilderness. And so I just want to think about it as a theme. And to do that, I'm just going to read a few uh, kind of verses mixed in. We're going to look at Exodus 14, 26 to 31, and then Exodus 16, verses 1 to 4. So if you want to follow along, it's in your handout. Exodus first, Exodus 14. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, and so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then skip down to chapter 16, verse 1. So they have moved into, God has led them into the wilderness, and here's, what begins to happen, verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Let's pray first. I want to dive into this theme of the wilderness tonight. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for the chance to be together. It is good to be together with your people. Our hearts need it. We need the encouragement. We need you to turn our hearts toward you, to remind us of the good news about your son tonight, to remind us of the good news about your grace and your patience with us, to remind us, Lord, that though we find um, more sin than maybe we care to admit in ourselves, Lord, we we turn upward and we look uh, through your word to your son and we see a God who loves sinners, who has more grace than we have sin. And so, Lord, I pray tonight you would encourage us. I pray that you would remind us of your patient love, the ways that you forbear with us and bear with us, the ways that you promise to never leave or forsake us, the ways that you promise not even if we belong to you, not even the gates of hell can prevail against us. So would you encourage us, Lord, I pray tonight, by your spirit, through your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I was thinking about, I don't know if you saw this, it was news to me, but the office turned 14 yesterday. It was either yesterday or two days ago. And I was just thinking about my favorite seasons of The Office, and I think I'm going to go a little bit, um, a little bit off-key here. Seasons 8 and 9 
I think are my favorite. Here's why. I know. Listen, I know. They're not the best. But here's what I love. As the office develops the, the love story between Jim and Pam, there are two storylines, Jim and Kathy in season eight and Pam and Brian in season nine that I think make the show. Here's why. Because I think the reality is we get to see for the first time that, that love between Jim and Pam as it develops and comes to fruition. They make a family together. They get married. We get to see it tested. And here's what's interesting. I think when you, you don't know the reality of a relationship until it's going through something hard. Like I'm going on year 16 of marriage and I can tell you there are wonderful seasons and there are hard seasons. And it's in those hard seasons that your heart is actually revealed. It's in those seasons of wilderness It's in those seasons of things not going the way you thought they would, not going the way you think they should, that our hearts are revealed. And that's why seasons eight and nine, as garbage as some of the writing is, those storylines I think are important. And that's what I want to look at tonight. I want to look at three things thinking about the wilderness, themes of the wilderness, when things are hard and we're tested. Uh, Three things. First, I want to just think about for a second, what is the wilderness? What do we mean by that? How am I using that word first? Why does God lead us into the wilderness? Why does he lead his people into the wilderness? And then lastly, how does he meet his people there? So what is the wilderness? Why does God lead us there? And how does he meet us there? That's what we're doing tonight. So let's think first for a little bit about what is the wilderness. Uh, if you've been with us this semester, you know we've said that why we're doing Exodus is it really is the gospel story in a nutshell. The, the four movements are slavery, rescue, wilderness, and promised land. And that is your life. That's my life. We are rescued from sin by Jesus. But then we begin to walk with Jesus with a fallen heart in a fallen world. Uh, And and just thinking about how the greater, I said at the beginning, the greater chunk of Exodus takes place in the wilderness. And we can say the same for our lives. You become a Christian. Typically, if you become a Christian uh, by this point in your life, the greater part of your life as a Christian is going to be spent in the wilderness. Meaning, you're learning how to follow Jesus, what it looks like to love Jesus, especially when life doesn't go the way you think it should. Especially when seasons are hard and are not the way that you think they should be. What is the wilderness? Here's just a, here's the best I got. The wilderness, the wilderness is the place where things are stripped away. Uh, The wilderness is the place where things don't go as they should. Uh, The wilderness is a place where all that's left in that desert is God himself. The wilderness is that place where disappointments and heartaches befall and you're tempted to grumble. You're tempted towards cynicism and despair. The wilderness is the place where your faith is shook. The wilderness is the place where you're tempted to ask, is it even worth it? Is Jesus always cracked up to be? The wilderness is the place of suffering, of waiting, of hope deferred, of loneliness, of pain. It's the place where you are laid bare, where you're exposed, and where you're vulnerable. That's what the wilderness is. Now, Thinking about this, I was just sharing before you left, uh, college was a wilderness for me, especially the first two years. And there's this guy, Christian Smith, he's a, actually a sociologist, he's at Notre Dame, Chapel Hill in Notre Dame, and he wrote this book, uh, thinking through the sociology of what it's like to live as a college student, he calls them emerging adults. Listen to the way, because maybe college for you has been a, a season of wilderness, or maybe you're in a season of wilderness. Here's the way he says it, I thought, I love the way he says it, just thinking about this time of life. Here's what he wrote. Is it perhaps the most pervasive, consistent theme in the lives? He calls you emerging adults, which I like. In the lives of emerging adults is the fact of their frequent and varied major life transitions. 
To an extent matched by no other in the life, no other time in the life course, emerging adults enjoy and endure multiple layered, big, and often unanticipated life transitions. They move out, they move back, they plan to move out again. They go to college, they drop out, they transfer, they take a break for a semester to save money. Some graduate, some don't. They want to study architecture, they hate architecture, they switch to criminal justice, a different career path. Their parents separate, make up, get divorced, remarry. They take a job, they quit, they find another, they get promoted, they move, they meet new friends, their old friends change, their friends don't get along, they meet more new people. They get new roommates, their roommates don't work out, they find a new apartment, they buy insurance, they wreck their car, they cancel their insurance, they borrow a car. They find their soulmate, they get involved, their soulmate dumps them, they are crushed. They believe in saving sex for meaningful relationships, they hook up, they get angry with themselves, they look for a meaningful relationship. They smoke, they want to quit smoking, they quit for some days, they start smoking again or drooling. In in these and other ways, for emerging adults, not a lot in life is stable or enduring. Some of what seem to be proves unreliable or unpredictable. Other things they know from the start are going to change. Changes are incessant. A lot is up in the air. There is sometimes too much to manage. Handling the basics of life demands a lot of time, energy, and attention. And thinking about this is part of what, for me, made college feel like a wilderness place. Maybe, maybe that has been your experience, but maybe it hasn't. But here's what, part of what Exodus is trying to say to us is, and we can say this in true cheesy Game of Thrones fashion, that whether you've experienced this or not, wilderness is coming. Wilderness seasons are coming. Where we know life is going to test us, it's going to be hard. Things are going to happen that we don't want to happen and the, the, the second question I want to ask with you is, why does, God lead, why does he lead us there? Because I think that's the part of Exodus that's so fascinating. Is God, he brings them through this miracle, this unbelievable moment in their lives where he literally parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry sand, and then he brings the waves, overwhelming waves, crashing back down upon their enemies. It's a, it's a miracle delivery, a d- deliverance, a, a miracle rescue. And then where does he lead them? (laughs) Listen, the way that we want the Christian life to work is he leads us through, he leads us out of slavery, he leads us into the freedom of the gospel, and he takes us straight to the promised land. We want the Christian life to be a nice upward upward trajectory. Where like Jesus saves us and then life only gets better and better and better and better. And I like the way Chuck DeGroote, he's a professor and counselor, he says, the Christian life is actually a U-curve where the way up is the way down and the way down is the way up. That he actually leads us into suffering. That he actually leads us into the wilderness. That's what he does. That's what God does with the people. Literally, the Red Sea's parted. He begins leading them into the wilderness. Here's why. Because it's in the wilderness, in the wilderness that we see that actually rescuing them from getting them out of Egypt was relatively easy. What's going to be way harder is getting Egypt out of them. Getting them out of Egypt was relatively easy compared to what it's going to take to get Egypt out of them. Um, And this is where that idea of testing became so important. This is why I did chapter 16, is it said God took them there to test them. And I think that idea is a little bit hard. Like when I was studying it and reading it, that idea seems weird to us. Why is God testing them? And I think the better way to think about that idea is to say that testing in this way is not meant to be like if you make the right grade, then God lets you in. That's not what testing is. Testing is God showing you 
what you actually grasp and what's actually in your heart. That testing is actually God, God revealing yourself to yourself. And this is what he's doing in the wilderness. In their case, is there, how great is their grasp of this salvation they've just experienced? And in our case, how great is our grasp of what Jesus has done for us? And what wilderness does, what wilderness seasons do, is it reveals what's actually in our hearts. It doesn't, the wilderness, another way to say it, the wilderness doesn't, in fact, change us. Hard seasons don't, in fact, change us. Hard things that happen don't even change us. What, what it does is it reveals what's actually already in our hearts. Um, uh, there's a Spurgeon illustration getting at this idea. Because part of what gets exposed is their sinfulness. Part of what gets exposed, if you read, if you were following chapter 16, God has delivered them by this crazy miracle. And then they immediately start grumbling about meat pots and bread and about how good life in Egypt was. Now, here's the way Spurgeon said it, talking about what's within our hearts. He gives this illustration I love about an acorn. And he says this, send your hand out. He says, look at an acorn. What do you see in the acorn? When you look into an acorn, you will see an ocean of wood. First of all, inside the acorn is a tree, a huge tree, and every single bit of that tree is in that acorn, acorn all scrunched up. Not only that, but on the tree that is in there are thousands of other acorns, and each acorn is another tree, which means that inside that acorn is not only another tree, but 1,000 other trees, and each one of them is a 1,000 other trees. And then he says, one acorn has the power to cover the entire world with an ocean of wood. But if that acorn falls in the pavement within a couple of days, it rots. All of its power goes to nothing. It doesn't mean that the power is not there. To see the power, to understand the power, it has to actually fall on the soil. It has to get watered and sown. And then Spurgeon says, what do you think murder is? What do you think it starts with? Murder has to start with a thought that says, I wish that person weren't here. I don't like that person. It starts with a grudge. It starts with selfishness. It starts with pride. It starts with self-centeredness. In your heart, that acorn cup of your heart, there is an ocean of evil. And if you just happen by God's grace to have fallen on pavement, if you have happened by God's grace not to be in a situation where that evil is really being fertilized, if you can't see how much evil is in there, it doesn't mean that it is not there. And part of what the wilderness does is it reveals what's in our hearts, the evil that lurks there. I like the way that Robert, Robert Murray McShane used to say it. He used to say, in my heart is the seed of every sin. And part of what happens is when life doesn't go the way that we want it to, that begins to be exposed. That begins to show up. That begins to come out of us. And I think everything in us wants to say, that's actually not me. This circumstance in my life is bringing that out. And what Exodus is telling us is no. That what that circumstance, is, what that circumstance or that season is bringing out in you is actually you. Is actually the you that you've never wanted to face. Is actually the you that you've always been. Maybe you weren't even able to face that you. But this wilderness season has brought it out. So the way that I want to say it is the wilderness, it was meant to show God's people this. That he didn't deliver them because they were so much better than the Egyptians. That he didn't rescue them because they were somehow more worthy or more good or more faithful or more true. But instead, he delivered them and set his love upon them. And that love is going to begin to actually make them good and faithful and true. And this is the last thing I want you to see is how does God meet them there? How does God meet us in wilderness seasons? So the wilderness, it doesn't just reveal the evil in our hearts, but it also reveals something else really important for us. It reveals the grace and patience in God's heart. It reveals the grace in the heart of the Lord toward his people. 
Uh, think about it like this. Basically, they begin grumbling about water, and God provides water. Then they grumble about food, and he rains down manna and quail. And God, in, this, in these moments, he really is like a good father who is patiently attending to the needs of his little monster children. And then there's this really strange scene in Exodus 14. And it's a scene where basically the people of God are grumbling again about water, and Moses loses it with them. He says, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm sick and tired of, of ministering to and leading this rebellious people. So he goes to the Lord and the Lord says, I want you to go to this rock in Horeb. And at this rock, here's what's going to happen. You're going to, I'm going to stand before you on the rock. And you're going to take that same staff that you just did all those miracles by. And you're going to strike the rock with me present there. And out of that rock is going to, is going to flow living water. And so Moses takes it and he strikes the rock and water comes to quench the people's thirst and to cleanse them. And then it's interesting, we get to the life of Jesus. And if you remember this, Jesus shows up and he begins his ministry. Do you remember how Jesus begins his ministry? He's baptized in the water. And the Lord declares, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then as soon, just like Israel, as soon as he is brought out of those waters, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Except Jesus does the wilderness different. Jesus, instead of coming out and grumbling and sinning against the Lord, Jesus goes into the wilderness. And even as Satan brings the full force of temptation to him, Jesus is so dependent upon the Father that he never once wavers. Jesus is the only one who is good and faithful and true. And then we get to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. And he's talking to us about Jesus. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. It is for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. He's talking about Israel and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, and all drank the same spiritual drink. And then he says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying not only is Jesus the one who, when he goes into the wilderness, he stays good and faithful and true, but Jesus is also the one who was struck with the blows of what our sins deserve. That water, cleansing water, quenched thirsting water might flow to us who have done nothing but grumble, who've done nothing but show the rebellion that lurks in our hearts. Jesus is fascinating. He is the rock. God calls himself the rock of refuge. And yet Jesus is the rock who was struck on our behalf, struck with what our sins deserve, struck with the judgment we deserve, that water, the water of life might flow from him. Asking the question, how does God meet us in the wilderness? He does it by showing us over and over and over again that his provision, that his love, that his grace really is enough for us. That it really is life itself. I love the way that Tim Keller said it. It's in your handout. He said over and over again, God meets us in the wilderness and he meets us in the desert. When we think our life is on a detour, it's really spiritual Main Street. When we think everything is going wrong, it's going wrong because it forces us to think in ways we wouldn't have thought otherwise. It forces us to seek in ways we wouldn't have sought otherwise. When things aren't going according to your plan, when you think you're on a back road, It's Main Street spiritually. Do you see what he's saying? It's in the wilderness, as life is falling apart, that Jesus becomes sweet. That sin can become bitter, that Jesus might become sweet to you. 
I'll close with this. I think about uh, a time in my life, I've shared this before if you've been around RUF, where we were in Statesboro, our youngest, Sadie, was on the way, and we found out that Sadie had a, a brain deformity. We found out that her cerebellum wasn't developed like it should be. And all they could tell us was that they couldn't tell us what was going to happen. They just knew as we looked into things, we went to Savannah first and then to Charleston that she had this condition called Dandy Walker, really rare brain condition. And all they could say is she might be born, she might die within a few days of birth, or she might go on to live a really normal life. In fact, when we were in Charleston, they encouraged us to, to abort her uh, because they couldn't promise us what her life was going to be like. So we're in, that, we're in that room in Charleston in the hospital. We've just been encouraged toward abortion. We're on the same page that we don't want to do that. But it was a wilderness season of what is God doing in our lives. Uh, we took for granted, I guess, that our first three children had been born without any problems. That had been, they've had really smooth, we had really smooth births. And we're just wrestling with the Lord, and me in particular, just wrestling with the, that particular hardship. What's gonna, and wrestling with the questions, what's going to happen? Like, literally all we knew is she was going to be born, and we knew we had to do a surgery to put a shunt in her brain that she'll have her whole life, that it, it drains excess fluid into her abdominal cavity. In that same time, I started reading this book that a friend had given me by Marilyn Robinson called Gilead. I still think, like, I'm sad that Lifeway stores have closed. Also, if I could have just put a whole bookshelf of Gilead up in those stores, that's what I would like to do. If I have, like, one book rack, it's an amazing book. But there's a scene in Gilead where the dad of the story is processing the hardness of life, and he's processing it as a father, an older father, looking at his son. And there's this quote that at the time just really ministered to me. He just says this. He says, that is how life goes. We send our children into the wilderness, some of them on the day they are born, it seems, for all the help we can give them. Some of them seem to be a kind of wilderness unto themselves. And this is what I love. But there must be angels there, too, and springs of water. Even that wilderness, the very habitation of jackals, is the Lord's. The wilderness for you and me is not just the place that exposes your heart. It's also the place that exposes God's heart. The wilderness, in that sense, is an invitation. It's an invitation that there is a rock who was struck for you. Come and drink deeply from him. And it's a declaration that God is so with you and so for you. That he's going to see you in this wilderness season. And he's going to see you to the promised land. That's how good his grace is in our lives. Let's pray to him. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you bear with us and love us. Lord, we thank you that even when life is hard, we know that, that, that you are good and that you are enough. And I pray that you would work that truth deep within our hearts. That the gospel of your love for us would uh, take deep root in us. And that we could leave this place encouraged encouraged by you. Whatever circumstances we're facing right now, that we can know that our circumstances are going to change a million times, but your heart toward us never wavers, never changes. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in that way. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing the doxology with me. I'll kick us off. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. 
so much for coming to RUF. Sign up for Suka. Sign up here in the back if you want to do that tonight. That'd be amazing. And we hope to see you next time. Y'all need my Wi-Fi? Let's get started. Have you seen us yet? No, no, yeah. Good? Dude, I'm scared to. It's like... I've heard it's really scary. Or scarier than... It's pretty scary. Okay. It's way scarier than Get Out. That's what I heard. I've heard it's like a true horror film. I really...